Welcome to Books on Air, the podcast you really don't want to miss. I'm Suzanne Harris, and you are about to get a sneak peek at what goes on behind the scenes with a particular author. You're going to find out their secret recipe for creating their book. And who knows, you might even get an inside scoop on a new project. If you want to know more about them and their work, we'll also tell you where you can find them on social media. Joining me today is K.C. Kennedy. And she's here to talk about her compelling book, Thy Will Be Done, The Plight of a Young Man Sentenced to Die in North America's Electric Chair. Casey, welcome. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to talk to you today. Before we talk about the book, I'm curious about you. Just a little bit. There's usually a story behind a writer. They either as a child enjoyed reading and read something that they really liked or there was a particular author they really liked and they thought, I can do that, or a teacher or a professor recognized some spark and encouraged it, or sometimes there's a life event that brings people into the writing avenue because they think, I need to share this with people. What's the story behind Casey Kennedy? How did you start writing and when? I started writing in fifth grade. I just loved to write about anything I could think of. And in high school and in college, uh, my teachers and professors told me how excellent my writing was. Therefore, in high school, my mother bought me a book for Christmas called You Should Write a Book. And I thought about it. I didn't even read the whole book. I thought about it and just put it in the back of my mind, you know. And then uh, several years later, in 1977, shortly after I married my husband, uh, he wanted me to attend his church, not mine, and a speaker came one Sunday named Daryl Bell. And this, this, this speaker talked of how he was sentenced to die in 1961 in the electric chair. Uh, and he was on death row 12 years. And I'm thinking, well, then how are you standing here? I invited him into my English classes at the time I was a high school English teacher, had a guest speaker once a month, and uh, he would speak, and then the students would write a, uh, a news story about him as an assignment. And that is how this book came about later. He called me a few years later and said that uh, he'd like me to write his life story because a movie company called Greg Sims, who did TV movies, wanted to possibly do the story of his life and that he needed a book. And that's how this all began. What a story. You've, you answered one of my questions already. I was so curious about how an English teacher all of a sudden went through all of these legal mumbo-jumbo cases, and I thought, how did you get this particular person, Nathan Nelson, how did he attract your attention? Yes, attracted my attention the first time I heard him speak, he was very well spoken. And then when he told us that he went to prison, he couldn't read or write. I, I just he, his story did it just intrigued me because you're wondering if you spent 12 years on death row and 17 years in prison, how are you standing here before me now? Yeah, how are you not dead from being in prison? You right, know? and he's an African American man. So in the 1961, as you may know, the odds weren't really great to escape that sentence. Wow. My only experience with prison is not even a real experience with prison. 
Here in Texas, we have a, a place called Huntsville, and Huntsville is quite famous for its executions. And I did mm. some work in Huntsville for the city of Huntsville, and the thing that I was taken by whenever I was down there was how much the prison dominated the life of the town and how the town and the prison were almost interwoven with one another. So as I was reading the book, I was, th- and it, it's a, it's a death sentence kind of book. As I was reading that book, I couldn't help but think about Huntsville and they actually named their electric chair. Its name mm. was, oh yeah, I know. Its name was Old Sparky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. And so as I was reading this, I was just fascinated. Now, you write in dialogue, so I'm assuming that the book is really fiction, but it's fact-based, right? Absolutely. It's actually more factual. I would say 99% factual, but when I found, finally found a publisher, originally they said they would print it as a true story, and by the third level of sending back prints and things, you know, that you have you check galley prints, a new manager came on the scene and said, we're not going to print a true story. And unless I got notes from everyone in the book, and I said, well, I actually wrote the original story after interviewing all these people, two people on tape and, or a written record of everything in 1987. And many of these people are now deceased. Uh, I asked to speak to that person's higher manager, and that manager said, no, no. Just rewrite the story, place it in another state, change all the names and all the place names. We will call it historical fiction based on fact, and we will print it as such. So I, that, then I started a new project for a whole summer of rewriting the book, placing it in New York instead of Pennsylvania, and made several trips to New York trying to find places that really I could get the same feeling of the place in Pennsylvania. Sure, that makes perfect sense. And the the dialogue that you have go on between uh, Nathan and his cellmates and the prison guards, is it really rings true. I mean, because you know him personally as a real human being, and that makes a huge difference, I think. Yes, he actually told me the dialogues as he remembered them. I interviewed other people who had the few that escaped being executed on death row at that time, some of the old-timers, they called him, who this, the, he was on death row in old eastern prison in Philadelphia. It's one of the first prisons in the country. It was a Quaker prison built by the Quakers. And then when that was closed, uh, the new prison in Greaterford, Pennsylvania, SCI Greaterford opened, and Daryl was transferred there. And that is where I interviewed some of the old-timers. I interviewed prison guards. I interviewed the commissioner of prisons, Uh, Mr. Owens at the time, and uh, I would actually, I I interviewed the warden, I interviewed many people and asked them if they could recall the way dialogues went. I interviewed young inmates, too, many, many, for the opening speech when all these men were transferred to the prison, and uh, uh, the warden named Slug Myers (laughs) gave his opening speech, and they all remembered that speech. Uh, It was so memorable. You know, why is my, I told him, why is my name Slug? Because I'd slug you as soon as I look at you. So don't think you're going to get away with anything here. <laughs> you're <laughs> kidding me. Yeah, no, that's a true story. Yeah. 
And he's he's still known. He's known in that prison. They now built that, that's a seventeen hundred acre facility in a suburb of Philadelphia. And um, on that facility, three years ago, they built a new prison called SCI Phoenix, which is the prison from which Bill Cosby was just released. See, this is just so interesting. It's just captivating. Would you like to share part of the book with our listeners so they can hear it? Sure. I'm going to start with Chapter 1. Start at the beginning, right? The execution. Death lived to be fed behind the green steel door. Death, in all of its full fist-clenching, wisp of smoke rising, purple foam-choking form, knowing that the next clanging of the cold metal keys, the next hollow footsteps he heard, might be those of the guards leading him to his execution. Prisoner number S0023 closed his eyes and prayed. He opened them to absorb a scene more grotesque than his mind had hitherto been able to conjure. And that is the opening excerpt. I'm not going to tell you what was going on in that death chamber. I got all those details from interviewing Bill Ockett, an Associated Press war correspondent who even went to China with Nixon. And uh, he had observed an electrocution in Pennsylvania and told me all the details. And then I looked through all the Philadelphia Inquirer news stories about it as well. So most of it came from the interview with Bill, and he was such a wonderful man. He just went into so much detail, really helped me form my opening scene. What was it like? You really went to prison and talked to inmates directly? Many of them. What was it like? Yes. Oh, it was just so interesting because the variety of attitudes. Some were just, just never lose hope, never lose that optimistic outlook on life, that they're going to do their best there to treat their fellow man as they want to be treated and to do what's right and and hope and pray that someday they'll have a chance to come out again. Others, you know, had a bit of an attitude. Some felt that they were treated unfairly, that uh, they didn't belong there. And and so it was it, a wide variety. But I found every inmate I interviewed uh, treated me with respect, and I do appreciate that. That was a a thing that I was thinking in my head. Were you ever afraid? No, I was never afraid because actually, interestingly enough, my husband has worked at that prison since 1981, and he is the x-ray technologist there. So the men all love him, and we've sung there for church services, and Daryl has spoken there. And also, um, when my mother died, so many inmates signed a beautiful a three-foot-tall sympathy card and sent it home with my husband. So there's um, there's that connection. It seems like that would make a difference because you do already have a personal connection, and so being able to go in and already have someone and your husband being a man, that would be really helpful too, <laughs> come in, and you already have an established relationship, and so they would show you the respect because they already respected your husband. Does that make sense? Oh, yes. And and I don't want to portray it as just a pleasant high school setting or something, because there are some very brutal things that have taken place in that prison. And my husband has x-rayed some of them. You know, things do happen in prison, as you can imagine, tempers flare. But from my experience, it was just an excellent experience. You know, This is just so absolutely fascinating for you and I to sit here and talk about this. And I know our listeners are saying to themselves, 
I want to read this book because it is fact-based fast I can't say it fact-based <laughs> fiction and mm-hmm. this is a real person this is a real experience this is based on copious research how long did it take you to do the research to put the book together it took me a year to do the research and at the time I had left teaching and was working for my dad so naturally, I was given more free time to travel, uh, and that, uh, and then it took me three months of intense writing day and night to write the book. Wow. Well, this book is available from Amazon, and let me tell our listeners the specific title and how they can find it on Amazon. The specific title of the book is Thy Will Be Done, colon, The Plight of a Young Man, Sentenced to Die in North America's Electric Chair by K. C. Kennedy, K-E-N-N-E-D-Y. And if you've never been to Amazon, and I'm sure that there's somebody out there who's never gone to Amazon to buy anything, if you've never, if you're that person, then all you do is put www.amazon.com in the search feature of your computer click on it and it'll take you right to the Amazon homepage and you'll see a really big long kind of a gray skinny rectangular search box if you'll type thy will be done the plight of a young man sentenced to die in North America's electric chair by K period C period Kennedy K-E-N-N-E-D-Y, in that search feature and click on it, the book will come right up. And when you see the book, if you look in the upper right-hand corner, you'll see two words, and it says, Open Here. All you have to do is click on those two words, and the book opens. I always find myself doing air quotes when I say that because it doesn't physically open like a a regular book. Of course, it's electric, electronic. And so the book appears. And there is a terrific excerpt that will suck you right into this young man's life and what he's experiencing and his thoughts and all of the things that are going on around him. It's available on Amazon, but I think, Casey, it's also available some other places. Am I right? Yes. If you uh, put in your Google search bar, as you said, that will be done, colon, the plight of a young man sentenced to die in North America's electric chair, K period, C period, Kennedy, uh, several entries come up. So if you prefer to buy from Barnes & Noble or Books a Million, they're, they're all there. Did you learn anything about yourself when you were writing this book? Uh, yes, I learned not to be judgmental. Really? Yes. Well, how? Why? Well, you know, we often think when someone receives a death penalty uh, that uh, they definitely deserved it and uh, justice is justice. But when you actually talk to some of these inmates and you listen and follow the footsteps of one particular inmate as I did, and you, you try to put yourself in his place. I followed him all the way back to Shreveport, where he was born, through his steps with his family and his schooling, kindergarten all the way through 12, into the Marine Corps, kicked out, cheated to get in, had someone took the test for him, couldn't read or write. Um, you gain an understanding of how, in certain scenes, 
oh, I understand how he felt like that. Oh, I understand that very clearly. You know, it, it changes your perspective. And it changed me so that I would never have considered myself judgmental. But after reading this, I realized that in some ways we shouldn't be so quick to rush to judgment on everyone. It gave you insight into a life and a situation that most of us would never have the opportunity to have an insight into, I suspect. Is that fair? Oh, definitely. Did you encounter any difficulties when you were trying to write the book? Sometimes if I asked for a record, I wanted to get his records from the Marines. That was not totally an easy task. And uh, eventually uh, I I went to Camp Lejeune and I, they gave me a tour, which was a miracle there. And then actually was able to pick up his records at the Naval Yard in Philadelphia. They released them to me. And that was a blessing. Other times it was easy. I went to see a lawyer who was the second lawyer to defend him on his case. And he was a judge at the time in Philadelphia. And he invited me into his chambers. He said, there's the filing cabinets. Daryl's in this row and this row. Take anything you want. Letters, anything. I was like, this is amazing. Wow. And I took everything. Took everything. <laughs> letters between lawyers. My very eye-opening letters. I'll bet, again, you got an insight that very few people, I think, ever have. Mm -hmm. and, and so that changed, probably, the way that you wrote the book. Is that fair to say? Yes, yes. The research changed the original view that I had in several ways. And they are? <laughs> oh, they are? They are, yeah. <laughs> I never expected, yeah, I know, right, true. I never expected Daryl to have gone through what he went through at Camp Lejeune. And I interviewed a drill sergeant who confirmed those types of things that took place in the 60s. Uh, things that were definitely, oh, people wouldn't even think of trying today because they, they reek of prejudice. But you got to remember, it was the 60s. You know, and we've come such a long way from the 60s that if you read the chapter Building Men about when he was in the Marines, you'll see how far we have come. Some people think we've made no progress. Oh, we've made progress. Yeah, I, t I agree. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. And again, another insight that changed so many things. Yes. Let's give your website so that our listeners can find you. Okay. Uh, the website is um, www.prison-stories.com. Or they can email me as well that, at, at info, I-N-F-O dot prison-stories.com. We've just about run out of time, Casey, but I want to give you an opportunity to say the last things about your work and about this really powerful and insightful book. When the reader sits down and reads, you call him Nathan in the book, when they read Nathan's story and they finish and they close the back cover either physically or turn off their tablet or whatever they're reading it on for the last time because they finished the book. 
Do you want them to just feel like they've read an insightful and an interesting story about one human being? Or is there something else that you would like for them to take away from the book? What I'd really like them to take away from the book is what I learned from Nathan's story. And we've heard this from other people, but when you follow someone's life, it just becomes so much more real. Never give up hope. Never give up hope. Because a negative attitude is not going to help you any way you look at it. And Nathan is one person, in spite of all the things that he's been through and gotten involved in, he's still alive today. He's 80 years old. He lives in North Carolina, and he never gives up hope. He's working in a home for homeless. He started his own little landscaping and um, power washing business, and he never gives up hope. I've never heard him speak negatively, and I am not exaggerating. And what a difference that makes in a person's life. Just never give up hope. A powerful statement from a really powerful and insightful book. Casey, thank you so much for being with us and for sharing Nathan's story. It's it's really mind-boggling. You did so much research, and it really shows in the book. Thank you. Don't forget, you can find Thy Will Be Done, The Plight of a Young Man Sentenced to Die in North America's Electric Chair by K. C. Kennedy on Amazon. You've been listening to the Books on Air podcast brought to you on webtalkradio.net. You can also hear this podcast on iTunes as well as iHeartRadio. I'm Suzanne Harris. And I hope you'll join our next Books on Air podcast, because remember, you never know who's going to be here, and you never know what we're going to talk about. Thank you so much for listening.